Butler. Joining us in the studio this morning is Knox County State's Attorney Jeremy Carlin. Good morning, Mr. Carlin. Good morning. Good to see you. How are you? You know, I'm doing all right. You know, I'm. Uh, it's been a kind of a long weekend. I dropped off my kid at college, and you know, there's the sadness that ensues on the drive back home. But uh, she's already written me this morning, and. She actually woke up for class, and everything's good. Good. <laughs> right. Where's she going to school at? She's going to Kalamazoo College in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Sure, that was a bit of a drive. Uh, about four and a half hours, yeah. Not bad, though. Yeah, not bad. You also get a time change in the way back, so it feels like a gain an hour. Okay, perfect. Well, good luck to her at college. Thank you. Yeah, they started a little bit later. Usually it's uh, Labor Day weekend. Uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, they start the same time that Knox does. So. Oh. So Knox starts today, and uh, I have a stepson who just started today as well. But that was an easier drive to get him to get him into school. <laughs> Absolutely, just down the street. Well, we're here today. We're about a week away um, from the very interesting um, policy that is going to take place. It was Illinois will become the first state to eliminate cash bail. Uh, that's Illinois Supreme Court on July 18th. Uh, upheld the Pretrial Fairness Act uh, ruling and said it did not violate the Illinois Constitution. Catch us up from there. Well, okay. Well, kind of going back a little bit, uh, the initial the legislature had uh, made some uh, had passed the the Pretrial Fairness Act or the Safety Act, and then um, we had an effective. They made some changes in November of last year that really undid all the uh, preparation that we were making for the effective date of December 31st. And then uh, as we were getting closer to that date, a lawsuit was filed, and uh, the Supreme Court put a stay on the, on, the, on the litigation. It's a litigation that myself and uh, a number of other states' attorneys had joined to, you know, to test the constitutionality of the statute. For me, it was not necessarily because I thought the statute was unconstitutional, but I wanted to have it addressed in one case as opposed to on a case-by-case -case defendant, a case-by-case -case, uh, situation with hundreds of defendants. And so I thought this was the most efficient way of doing it. So come uh, the summer, uh, after the briefing, the Supreme Court has decided that it is constitutional, and we now have an effective date of September 18th, uh, this uh, a week from now. And uh, all of us state's attorneys and law enforcement and court officials have been scrambling to make sure that we are ready to go come, you know, 12.01 uh, on Monday. And you have a training. Actually, you've been conducting numerous trainings, so we can talk about those and set the stage for the upcoming September 14th training that's open to communities, and that's through Zoom, so anybody can join. Right. I, I mean, first of all, it's a, it, it is a substantial change in how we do things uh, for law enforcement, for our jail personnel, uh, for our courthouse, as well as my office as well. Um, I mean, fundamentally, it's not different uh, in the respect that there are three groups of defendants that we see. There are, are defendants that we know should be held in, in jail uh, pending trial. There are defendants we know who ought not to. Uh, and there are ones in the middle where it's a gray area. And we've always had that issue. And the Pretrial Fairness Act uh, has kind of codified that us for that codified that issue for us. And we've uh, now have a different set of rules. For, you know, for me, frankly, I... Uh, I think there are a lot of good things about the Pretrial Fairness Act. Um, for example, <clears throat> for all people, whether or not you are, 
you know, you commit murder, you know, commit arson, commit serious crimes. We're always setting bail. Uh, and, you know, we try to set bail high enough so that we don't think that people will get out. And so you set bail on a drug dealer for $500,000. And then, you know, lo and behold, this guy has $50,000 cash to get out. And you're thinking, how did that happen? Under the Pretrial Fairness Act, we're not going to go through that process anymore. If you commit a serious crime, you're going to be held in, in custody until until tri- trial. As well as, you know, people on the other end of cases where they're uh, committing a low-level felony that is victimless. You set bail in a low amount. And, you know, two weeks later, like, you're like, how did they not come up with $300 to get out? And so we're going to uh, be able to avoid the the problems on both sides of, of that equation. Uh, it's just, a, it is, though, a formula and that ha- that uh, law enforcement has to consider uh, at the time of the arrest. But there's been so much uh, misinformation about this or, uh, or, or fear because it's a big change and everyone's always concerned when there's a big change that people who will be, be letting out when they ought not be. And uh, that's why we're having the community training on Zoom on Thursday. And if you if you sign up in advance, it's pre-registration required. Um, you'll go through the training that I've been doing for police officers. Um, there's a, a number of flow, che- flow charts that have been developed that allow us, allow police officers to have a decision tree from if it's a low-level crime, a B or C misdemeanor, they'll be given a, a citation right there on the street and let go, as opposed to being brought to the jail and booked in. If it's a more serious offense and perhaps not an offense that's detainable um, or the person on the street doesn't give proper ID or it's a low-level offense but they keep on doing it, like a trespasser who keeps on going back to the same place, they'll be brought to the station and booked in. And at that point, there's a decision. You know, either they're there on a detainable offense and they'll be held uh, for an initial appearance or there are other circumstances that in the discretion of the police officer, they should be held for an initial appearance. And at that point, that's when the prosecutors jump in. The prosecutor takes a look at the, at the crime, determines whether or not we wish to actually uh, de- pre- do pretrial detention uh, or not. And at that point, we can, if we choose not to detain them, we can release them, but with special conditions. Uh, like uh, stay away from an address, stay away from an individual. Uh, sometimes, it, it, depending on the circumstances, uh, get uh, you know take you know refrain from using drugs, um, get mental health evaluation. Those things are a little complicated, but we can get through that. Or if we're going to detain them, then we have to file a petition to detain, and we have to establish that they are there on a detainable offense and that they either pose a risk of harm to specific people or the community, or they pose a, a, willful, a risk of willful, um, willful flight. Okay. I know that's a lot, you know, sorry about that. But, but, but definitely understanding the breakdown of the Safety Act, if you will, and how that's going to look for law enforcement, um, the prosecutors, the judges. So for law enforcement, that, that formula, you've been doing training on that, correct? Right. We've, uh, we've done uh, about four trainings so far. I've done training in, uh, well, five trainings, actually, 
Four. Okay. Uh, I've done uh, one training for the courthouse staff, so that's like circuit clerks uh, and uh, public defenders, uh, courthouse security, because that's going to change. Uh, uh, I've done one uh, training for the jail, because even that's going to change. Right now, if you get a warrant for, let's say you get arrested in Knox County, it's a, a warrant for Henderson County. Uh, typically, what would happen now is you just get shipped to Henderson County. Under the Safety Act, what will happen is you get seen by a Knox County judge initially, and then there's a five-day you know cl- uh, you know timer on it. And if if after five days uh, Henderson County hasn't come to get them, then uh, there could be uh, another hearing in Knox County in which they could be released on special conditions or any number of things. Or it could be set up that Henderson County can have a virtual hearing in Knox County uh, on this warrant. Someone's going to be seen by a judge. Um, So that's different for our jail. And then, of course, for law enforcement, uh, I just talked about kind of the decision tree of, is it a low-level offense? If not, is it an offense that we need to, should see them booked? And if if it's more serious than that, are we going to hold them for pretrial detention? You know, the flowcharts that are involved with this, it kind of reminds me, um, you know, those football players that have the the plays on their forearms? Quarterbacks, yeah. Quarterbacks, you know. I feel like we ought to be providing a list of those flowcharts for forearms of all our law enforcement so they can kind of go through on the street what it's going to look like. Sure, because any way you look at it, the same problem still exists inherently for a law enforcement and correct me if i'm wrong you obviously see this daily but it's the repeat offenders over and over and over again that it's a low-level nuisance offense almost is what you want to call it whether it be trespassing uh drugs you you know you name it needing a mental health evaluation it uh, it still doesn't eliminate that source of challenge. Well, it, you know, we always we've always had that challenge in that uh, because there's a uh, a dearth, uh, a, a very limited, uh, not very limited, but there's insufficient mental health uh, treatment resources or addiction resources in our areas. We're we're kind of using uh, it then falls to law enforcement to uh, to have a response, and uh, it, it is a to some degree, trying to put a square peg in a round hole because, you know, the criminal justice system assumes that you're a rational actor, right? Um, and if we're dealing with an individual who has mental health concerns or committing crimes of addiction, it's a, it's a little more of a challenge. Under the Safety Act, because we are limited in our ability to hold on to people, um, the, um, it's going it, to, it's, we we'll have to work through that. I mean, right now, if someone is committing low-level crimes but it indicate that there's something um, from a mental health perspective going on, we kind of can hold on to people until we get them into a facility or into a treatment situation. And then, you know, you know we can protect the community and the individual that way. The Safety Act, to some degree, handcuffs us on that. Uh, or... We all have to be on the same page, you know, the public defender, the judge, uh, the state's attorney kind of winking at each other. Okay, this is what we're doing. Um, you know, we, <clears throat> you know, we talk about problem solving courts and, you know, having like drug courts or mental health courts. We're pro- we are solving problems every day in our, in our bail call and our custody call. Uh, and, uh, you know, luckily we are a small enough community where 
you know, in, in Knox County, there's only 50,000 of us, uh, 30,000 in Galesburg. You know, the problems that we see have names, faces, people that we know. And so we generally can kind of amongst the, the even in the adversarial process between the public defender, defense attorney, myself, and the judge, we generally can figure out what we need to do with this individual to get them the help that they need. It, most Again, most of the people that I deal with are, there's some people who are evil, of course, and people who commit terrible crimes. And those are people who we need to hold in jail and then exile out of the community. But the vast amount of people that we see are people who need our help. And, uh, and so it's important uh, throughout this process as a prosecutor to have compassion and empathy uh, to get these people the help that they need because they are really literally our brothers, our sisters, our family members, our friends. Um, and that's what you want out of a prosecutor, both heavy, you know, heavy-handedness on the people who need it, but also um, compassion for those who need help. We're talking with Knox County State's Attorney, Jeremy Carlin. So, Jeremy, um, I want to ask this. The, you, you've given us some of the pros from a prosecutor standpoint that you see. Um, what are the reasons why our, some, a lot of our police officers, uh, or law enforcement, I should say, and some of the, the state's attorneys not in favor of this pretrial uh, fairness act? Well, and have those problems been resolved? I think a lot of those problems were resolved in the trailer bill that came out in November. Uh, I mean, if you want to meet a group that is more resistant, I can't think of a group that is more resistant to change than prosecutors, <laughs> you know, um, primarily because we're, we're doing the best that we can to try to figure out solutions in the, within the system that we have. And when the system changes, then we're all scrambling. Um, uh, it's kind of like what I say in my office, um, you know, I hate interesting. You know, when it's boring, when it's mundane, when I know what I'm doing, that's when I'm the happiest, you know, ironically. Um, it's when it starts to get interesting and the solutions are not as clear cut. Um, yeah, I don't like my job as much. But uh, so that's why you, you see prosecutors and law enforcement uh, concerned about this. I think as you as we start to get into the system, we can and the we we can see that there are there are a number of decision points along the way that allow allow law enforcement to exercise the discretion to detain people, uh, or at the very least, not detain them for, through the full process of until trial, but at least hold on to them or for a day or two. So we can determine what needs, what's the the next best step for the individual who is uh, in custody. Okay. What else do you want people to know as we embark upon the implementation of the act in one week? Well, what I'd like to talk about is, is this: is that it's been a, it's you know, the, we're dealing with a lot of um, lack of knowledge and training about the Safety Act and law enforcement professionals, I think that fear is, is, is multiplied, you know, times 10 in the community. And, you know, first of all, I appreciate being able to come on with you and, and talk about it to your listeners. We are also offering Safety Act training to our community here, uh, well, whoever wants to join up. And uh, uh, it's uh, on uh, this Thursday at 5 o'clock. Um, if you go to my Facebook page, Post, uh, site, you know, Knox County State's Attorney Jeremy Carlin, you can get a link uh, for uh, just to sign up and just to pre-register. 
uh, so we know who we're dealing with. Um, and, uh, and then you can go through the same training that I'm doing with law enforcement uh, to show the flow charts, to show what we are focusing on, uh, those situations where um, people will be uh, initially held on to, but we won't be filing a petition to detain. And under those circumstances, we'll be imposing special conditions. And what are the challenges for that? And I think as people become aware of what we're doing, become aware that this is not a, a, a legal boondoggle, uh, we will be able to uh, we'll be able to work through it, uh, you know, just like anything. Uh, but, you know, it, it's going to take some extra work. So, for example, uh, come September 18th, for the following five weeks, uh, I'm going to be the on-call attorney in Knox County. So we have on-call attorneys for law enforcement where they can call 24-7 uh, to ask questions about, you know, uh, is this stop legal? Is You know, how do I get a search? I need to get a search warrant. Um, um, you know, I need you to come on down, you know, whatever. Uh, uh, and so um, given I assume that we're going to have a lot of questions in the first couple of weeks, uh, I expect I intend to be the on-call attorney, not only so I can answer questions for law enforcement, but also so if I see that there are difficulties in the implementation in our system that we've set up, I can be on the spot making those changes. Uh, you know, additionally, you know, we have a lot of stakeholders in this process. I mean, it's not just me telling law enforcement what to do, but it's also somewhat of a kind of a it's a conversation with our judges about what they want to see happen, as well as the public defenders and defense attorneys, um, where where they think there are problems with the system, where they and so we're trying to, you know, anticipate these issues. I'll be meeting with uh, administrative administrative judge Andrew Doyle in Knox County, as well as our public defender David Hansen. Uh, we'll be meeting uh, actually later today, uh, as we go through the forms that we have prepared. Uh, as uh, we go through uh, step by step to see if, you know, where there may be some difficulties. Sure. And of course, we will reach out to Tom Siegel, our state's attorney here in Warren County, and have him on the air coming up uh, later this month as well. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, it, it, I think it's important to have all of us, you know, it's important to talk about it now, right? Uh have us come back in a month or so, and uh, maybe even longer than that, two months, so we can talk about how it went. And uh, um, I am I th- hoping, I guess, that we'll be surprised that this is a, a relatively smooth process. I think what we're going to find is that fewer people will be held in custody. Only a small few. It's not going to be not many, not much of a change because – the people who should be held in custody are generally going to be held in custody, right? Um, and the people who should be released are going to be released. So what ultimately what it's all going to mean is that we're going to have the same amount of people, plus or minus two or three, being held in custody, but it's going to be a lot of more work for my office to make that happen. Sure. And that's ultimately what it sounds like is we have an entire act, if you will, but it sounds like the ability to get a speedy trial due to lack of resources has been a challenge statewide, nationwide. You hear about, at least the way it was written in articles, that so-and-so, you know, for a low-level offense was sitting in, in custody for a month at a time. Mm-hmm. Why is a low-level offender 
not able to get a quicker trial, if you will. Well, and it's, I think it's not so the, much of a speedy trial issue. The trials come along. It's more of a, why is a person who has a drug addiction sitting in our jail when, when that time would be better served them getting treatment? Uh, you know, the the period of time from for people who have crimes or committing crimes of addiction or mental illness, you know, that period of time from arrest to ultimate resolution is one of the best opportunities that we have to get them on the path of of recovery. You know, because you have the the coercive ability of that's maybe too strong a word the strong ability for us to affect their behavior um, by encouraging them to do it saying like hey if you're found guilty the sentencing is going to go a lot easier if you've demonstrated that you're already working on these issues um, so that period of time we want to make sure that people are getting the help that they need we don't want them sitting in our jail we want them getting the help we don't have you know you know Maybe, you know, down the road we will have better drug treatment in our jails. You know, it's going to take some financial investment. And, I mean, that's actually does point out one of the flaws of the, the system that we're dealing with is that um, it is important to have bail reform, that the, the whether or not you sit in jail or not should not depend on the size of your bank account. Absolutely. I think we all can get behind that. Uh, on the other hand, if we're going to release people who should be released, there needs to be then another network of resources that they can access to help them deal with the issues that brought them into custody in the first place. That's where uh, the state has kind of fallen down. Now, that takes a real financial commitment, as well as solving some other problems that are difficult, which are finding sufficient number of mental health professionals, addiction professionals that are willing to come to to Illinois, who are willing to come to our rural areas um, to to provide this treatment, it's going to require hospitals to take make that financial investment to provide uh, facilities to do that. The state really needs to come in and incentivize that behavior so that while people are out on custody, people who ought to be out on custody are able to deal with the issues that brought them into, got them arrested in the first place. That was going to be my next point was the need for drug addiction resources and mental health resources. I I used to play ball um, before COVID uh, shut us down with uh, some of the the guys who work at Henry Hill, right? Mm -hmm. And I asked him one day, I said, so the the gentlemen who are in custody, uh, you know, what what usually gets them in there in the first place? And uh, they said drugs and alcohol, that that most of the crimes are committed while on some sort of a substance. So that was was too bad to hear. Yeah, you know, and it's also not only drugs and alcohol, but it's also... uh, um, the people who have mental health who are issues who are self-medicating, and uh, so it's a it's a whole group of whole group of uh, of problems that get them on the wrong side of the law. That we really, in order to make our community safer, um, it, we need to be addressing those issues ultimately. I mean, because ultimately, at the end of the day, you know, we have punitive measures that we can take towards individuals to get people to to, uh, you know, follow the law, right? That's one tool that we have. But, you know, just like with our children, we don't send our children to bed without supper because we are just trying to punish them. We send them to bed without supper because we're trying to correct behavior, right? 
we don't just you know punish to punish and so if we can if we are trying to help individuals who are misbehaving correct their behavior we need to provide the resources to do it actually actually a better example would be this if your kid is coming home and getting bad grades at school grounding them for two weeks is not going to solve that problem. Getting them a tutor, maybe sitting down with them as they do their homework so you're available as a parent, that's going to help them get better grades, right? For individuals who are having mental health issues or drug addictions, grounding them by putting them in jail for a period of time uh, is me- isn't necessarily the best result. Getting them help they need with drug, uh, with, with uh, uh, counselors or whatever is the really the thing that's going to get people on the on the path to recovery and the path to lawfulness so what would you do with the crime part of the accountability if they were if they committed the act while having a mental illness issue yeah, that still the, you has see, to be see that's the with. real challenge because um, you know laws always it's very rarely a black and white situation right uh, and uh, you know people who I call it there, in, in, in my world, there's meth and there's meth plus. Uh, meth is, you know, they get pulled over on a traffic stop and they have meth in the car, right? They have addiction. Meth plus is they are breaking into people's houses to steal stuff, to pawn, to get money for meth. Now, that is now no longer um, a victimless crime, right? Yeah, that's a, a, a situation where there's victim who's you know, whose security has been threatened, maybe even been physically harmed. That's a situation where while we take into account their mental illness or their drug addiction, we have to maybe segregate them from the community for a period of time while they're getting that treatment. And that really does point to um, the segregation being the punishment, of course, the segregation being uh, during that period of time we know that we'll be safe. Uh, but we need that kind of focuses on the, the third prong, which is we send people away who are bad. We get people who are out in the community getting treatment. But people who pose risks to the community while untreated, um, we need to start providing those same resources within our jail. And that's a, that's a constant. Uh, of course, it's a challenge uh, because we're really talking about county dollars going to do that at this point. Uh, j- uh, sheriffs um, are, are n- as a group, not necessarily very equipped to do that. You know, I've joked with our last sheriff and the ger- sheriff we have now in Knox County that that our sheriff was the largest provider of mental health services in Knox County. It's not That's not very surprising. If we can do a better job of doing having NA and AA in our jail, having a medical professionals who can d- diagnose and treat these issues while in jail, for people who are in jail, we are using that time not only as a punishment, a punitively, we're using that time constructively so that when they get out, they perhaps provide a, they're a less of a risk of harm to the community. You can see that you know, we are trying to solve problems. In the absence of a, uh, a community-wide system of mental health treatment and drug treatment, we have to do the best that they can within the system that we have to do this. Okay. Well, thank you so much for coming in today. 
Thank you. I'm sorry I'm so long-winded, but I'm pretty passionate about this stuff. A lot of information to go over. A reminder, September 14th at 5 p.m., there is a Safety Act training that's open to the community, hosted on Zoom. Pre-registration is required. You can find that link on our website under Top Stories for Community Safety Act training with Knox County State's Attorney Jeremy Carlin. Thank you. Thank you so much. Have a good week. Yeah, you too. Let's join RFD already in progress.